0: Hi, I'm Samantha B. Welcome to my podcast, Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully, you'll experience one by the end of this. Let's see. Okay. Since our last episode, people are being abducted by shady government agents on the streets of Portland. And Donald Trump is saying that while he might not accept the election results, he can properly identify an elephant. Okay. In other words, everything is terrible and there's no end in sight. But what can I do? Am I just the most resplendent of the late night comedy hosts? I mean, like, I probably can't change the world on my own, but I can at least provide a platform for interesting, smart people who haven't been booked on other podcasts to speak their mind. So on this soon-to-be Potty Award-nominated podcast, we'll hopefully gain some perspective on this terrible year that is far from over. And while many of us are stuck at home, we'll try to find out what to look forward to when, ha 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 ha, ha the world returns to normal, if it ever does Look, just because we're stuck inside doesn't mean we can't have a good conversation. Every week, I'm going to be talking to someone who I really want to talk to, and because of the pandemic, they have to talk to me. They legally have to talk to me. I'm joined by my producers, Adam Howard and Svia baron reinstein who have both aged considerably since this project began. How are you guys? How have you been doing since this little show began? we're good okay it's true it's
1: legally put in the stimulus bill that people have to talk to you during quarantine <laughs> they have to it's the only thing they got through <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what an
0: incredible stimulus package <laughs> for
1: yeah, us i feel so selfish we've
2: gone mad with power with all the yeah. success of our first three episodes
0: obviously the fame has gun to your heads okay now it's your birthday today
2: it is. Happy I birthday. Am, I'm rapidly aging. Rapidly.
0: Yes. <laughs> last, last episode, we talked about your gray hair. This <laughs> <Last> week, <laughs> you have actually, <laughs> the clock has turned.
1: Now I've aged a year. You've aged
0: a whole year. How yeah. does it feel? You're turning 29.
1: What is it? I am. 29, yeah, 29
0: today. <gasps> 29 today.
1: And right as I was sitting down and putting my headphones on, I got a delivery of two bottles of wine from some people at work. Nice. Which was good timing Great. so I'm halfway into that okay <laughs> and I think it's gonna be a really good show yeah I think so too and I'm excited <laughs> because our guest mm-hmm. uh, sh- should I say it yeah you say it our guest Connie Schultz yes. had a birthday just three days ago oh, nice. oh my goodness it's so we're birthday like show. birthday buddies, buddies. Yeah. I mean you guys can stay but <laughs> it's our birthday show I'm sorry that we're making
0: you work on your birthday
1: I I usually work on my birthday. Just a
2: cruel taskmaster. Hand, hand. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sam, I usually work on my birthday. Oh, no.
2: Does this make you both Leos? Yeah, Nice.
1: I think so. Mm. I don't really know anything about that. (laughs) So I know that I am one, and I assume she is also one. I think they're supposed to be
2: strong and sort of fierce. Assertive? Yeah.
0: Rawr, rawr. (laughs) That's the only <laughs> thing I can say. <laughs> yeah. Growl noise. Was, it's actually in growl.
2: All the books.
1: Yeah, that's what it said on my birth certificate. It said <laughs> That's
0: Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna take a quick break, but we have Connie Schultz coming up, and you're gonna want to stick around after that for another round of real or fake. So don't go away because we'll be right back. But also, because it's very dangerous to go outside, and you should not do that. Joining me today is Connie Schultz, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who hails from the heartland of Ohio, which is an audience the network would love for me to tap into. And if that wasn't enough, just last month, she became a novelist. Her book, The Daughters of Erie Town, is already a New York Times bestseller, and the RNC didn't even need to help her inflate her sales. (laughs) Donald Trump Jr. She also exudes kindness on Twitter, which is somewhere it generally is absent from. I'm very humbled and very happy to have her here today. And by here, I mean, obviously in her own home, hundreds of miles away from me. Connie Schultz, I'm so humbled and happy that you are here. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I'm such a big fan. So thank you. Well, wow, the feeling is so mutual.
3: Oh gosh! And it's this nice is, to have a happy moment right now during all this. It's just great to hear your voice.
0: I'm now. having a happy moment. You're making me happy. Just I'm I'm receiving your happy vibes <laughs> from the, all of the weird cables that lie between us. Um, okay, so tell me, just how's your quarantine going? How's social isolation going?
3: How's it going for you? Uh, I try to tell myself every day how lucky I am that I'm healthy and everybody I love is doing okay right now. That's about as much as I can do, but I start the day with that and it seems right. to help.
0: Well, I start the day with your Twitter feed and that helps me. So I mean it really does. Oh, my. Yeah, it's a really uh, a <laughs> delight. You. Um, okay. So you are, I mean, first and foremost a journalist. How are you reporting on this moment?
3: Well, this is such a different mm-hmm. moment for all journalists in this regard, because we are living through it as recovery. Yes, and like I just tweeted out um, this morning a picture of me from '88 with my daughter on my lap, my right. baby on my lap, as I was typing, uh-huh. and um, how guilty I used to feel at times. I'm worried about, but I, but with that picture was a picture of her from a couple of years ago when she had her baby strapped to her, right. fighting for families in front of the state legislature. Right, right? and I did that because one of the groups it's on my mind the most are the parents Mm -hmm. who are at home with younger children and trying to do this including the journalists who are doing this yes and i actually do have a point here (laughs) i feel like it sounds like it's meandering a bit but the point is this is that everybody's personal life has been uh, dramatically affected by this at the same time that they're trying to cover what it means for the country right and you're also putting yourself at risk every time you go out to cover people. Right. Um, Because if we were all wearing masks, that wouldn't be an issue, right? Mm -hmm. But we're not all wearing masks. And on top of all this, and actually at the core of all this, is you have a president who hates us, makes clear his hatred for journalists, um, which has made people more aggressive, some people, in public with us, Mm -hmm. which was something you kind of tolerated before and tried to be careful about. But now you have to worry about it if they're also not wearing masks. right? So I... I I feel safe. I'm a columnist. I'm researching, writing. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time at home doing this. Mm-hmm. But there are the reporters I care most about right now are the ones who are out in the field still, yeah. trying to report on this.
0: It's so difficult. Look, you were a single mother for a long time. What kind of yeah for a decade? What kind of economic relief would you like to see for people who are dealing with homeschooling and working and taking care of all aspects of? Family and homes simultaneously. Do you think that single parents are getting the recognition that they deserve?
3: I don't think parents, period, do, and I certainly don't think that single parents do because um, I, I'm not sure we're. I, I'm not sure we're still not in the blame game too often when we look at single parents and what they need more than anything is the physical help right. of caring for their children. Right. So we need the money for that. We need the safe places for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how single parents are functioning right now. Yeah. Um, because they can't even they can't take terms you know we have four four grown kids Mm -hmm. seven grandchildren and they all are in two two parent homes right they're all exhausted Mm because they all work full time they have little children except for our 12 year old grandson and they're exhausted all the time and they have each other it is too easy for me to imagine as a single mom I've described myself in the past as in those days I would often walk the halls of my own home like a ghost in the middle of the night worried about money Worried about the impact of single parenting. Like, my son was grown. My daughter was quite young. Worried how it was going to affect her. And I didn't have a coronavirus mm-hmm. to deal with. Right. But we haven't prioritized childcare ever in this country. No. We've never prioritized childcare. My hope is that this is the time, this is the jolt, where even parents who never had to think about it, who had all the help they needed, will um, want to advocate for those who don't. Because now they know a lot more about what it feels like when the resources are limited and you basically are counting on yourselves. I'm
0: so worried about what's going to happen in the fall with schooling. I mean, we're over here in New York City and there's really no clear plan that, I mean, there's a a halfway plan, but I have a feeling that that could fall by the wayside so easily. And it just seems like there's so much possibility, you know, to just fracture the, even for families with two working parents, that one person is going to end up having to give up their job in order to do childcare from home. And the burden is often going to fall on women who are in the workplace. And I don't know, it's 2020. Other than the most obvious reasons, why is this still happening? Should we just scream together? i <laughs> you ever just feel like screaming?
3: I'm a believer that occasionally the mm-hmm. screaming will help. Um, whatever it takes for us to to release that, but i have also, as you know, I, I promote the idea of breathing a lot. Do. We really do need to be taking care of ourselves, and deep breaths help that. Yeah. And the thing I'm hearing from teachers, yes. teachers are terrified right now. Terrified. So They're making out wills. Yes. They're figuring out their power of attorney documents, their um, DNR papers. Right. This is how scared many of them are yes. because. They don't feel they have the option not to go if the school district tells them to because they also have families to support. Yes. So I understand why everybody's scared of it. We, we should be very concerned. We wouldn't be at this place right now. Let's, let's please keep in mind mm-hmm. that had we all been wearing masks yes. early, right? March, April, yes. had that been a national mandate? Had we all been socially distancing from the beginning, understanding that you had to stand mm-hmm. at least six feet apart, had we been quarantining earlier, Staying home, if we weren't essential workers, we would be in a different place right now. And while I understand the frustration of those who are saying, well, what good does it do us now to think about that? I think it's productive in this way, because at least we can consider how to move forward to prevent it from going even longer. And I understand how some can get frustrated when we talk about that, you know, what's the point of talking about it now? Well, it's about policy. Mm -hmm. It's about how we want to move forward. And We have to, if if we aren't going to learn from the mistakes we've made Mm -hmm. in the last few months, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. We can't undie the people who have died. Yeah. We can't change the people whose lives have been affected. Their health will be permanently affected from having had COVID-19 and survived. We can't change any of that. The only thing we can hope to do is to prevent it from happening to more people. Mm -hmm. So we have to talk about how to do that. We do.
0: We have to talk about policy. We need plans for things. And we need also just need leadership who actually cares. We just need leadership who cares. It's so easy right. to, to demonstrate the tiniest fragment of leadership just by wearing a mask. That's right. And not thinking that you're macho by not wearing a mask. These, this is leadership.
3: It's the simplest gesture. Well, and if we're going to talk about that leadership, I I think it's hard not to talk about how there's a partisan divide on even that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And as you know, my husband is U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, a Democrat. And I'm bringing up, because we're going to talk about, I'm going to bring up what's happening in the Senate for a moment. Um, The Democrats became, uh, were adamant, Sherrod was one of them. He was not going to go to Washington early for these committee meetings when they found out it was was possible. They could do them through computers. They could do them through audio and visual, right? Yep. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, though, he was on the Senate floor. He always wears a mask, even when he speaks on the Senate floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the people, when, you'll, if you've watched that, you see that, you know, he's had the stenographer standing in front of them, right? right? And staff. And somebody thanked him the other day for wearing the mask while speaking. Well, you know what? You wouldn't be getting that thank you if so many of them weren't doing that yet. Right. And um, he had a Republican colleague come up to him recently to want to start giving it to him. He was kind of upset about something Sherrod said, and Sherrod said, you need to back away. Right. You need to back off because you're not wearing a mask. This is a partisan issue, unfortunately, yeah. and it endangers staff, and it endangers family members. About, I mean, many of these senators are not young, young people, mm-hmm. and I don't understand how they could still not be wearing masks and modeling for the country. I'm hoping, though, Sam, we're going to see. This is the pivot. Right. This is the pivot time. Let's hope. I mean, finally, President Trump is saying, let's all wear masks. I, whatever gets in there, I, I say all the time, you can't ask someone to change and not give them a chance to, he is definitely stressing the limb sure. of my um, patience on that. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he has said it now. Yes, he has said it now. So perhaps those who were refusing to wear it, because the president said you don't have mm-hmm. to, maybe more of them will start wearing it.
0: How do you maintain hope when you see, okay, so you're feeling a sense that this could be a pivot moment. How do you, how do you not trip and fall into a pit of despair? Because you are so close to this. You are seeing in your life, in your marriage, you are seeing the frustrations of inaction and the gridlock and the partisan, the fighting so up close. How do you maintain a sense of calm or hope? through that?
3: Well, first, I want to be clear that I do have my moments where I don't. Okay. And that's when I stay off Twitter. Great. That's a great <laughs> right? place to
0: get out. Like
3: to, right. <laughs> yes. I'm going to need a break for a minute, folks. <laughs> i got to go for a very long walk with my dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, You know what makes it easy for me is, it, it, part of this is my experience as a columnist for almost yes. 18 years. And certainly now, during this pandemic, most people I have learned are good. Yep. They really are. It's hard to believe sometimes because the mean ones are so loud. Yes. And they can do so much damage. Most people are good and they want to do the right thing, mm-hmm. but they often don't believe they could actually make a difference. And one of the things I think we're learning right now, look, we've never had more power as individuals to save lives right Think about that. If we wear masks, if we do all the things we're asked to do, mm-hmm. uh, we're not just protecting ourselves, we are potentially saving lives. And I have um, I feel so privileged to be on the receiving end of so much conversation from people I've never met who either read my column or they're engaging with me on social media or they've Mm -hmm. just read my novel and they want to tell me stories of their lives and they start telling me about the things they're trying to do for friends and neighbors and for their community in this time of um, the coronavirus. All of that, I think, accumulates for me in a way that keeps me going. And the other thing is, you know, every day we wake up and we answer the same question regardless of whether we even know it. Is this the day that we give up? Right. Or is the day I get up and keep going, Right. right? And every time we get up, and we decide we're going to do what we can, we've got the right answer to that question. And it seems to me that overwhelmingly, people are having the right answer right now.
0: Right. We're we're really grappling with issues of death and dying right now in the world, like globally. Do you think that coronavirus is changing how we talk about death in a positive way, or is it numbing us to it?
3: Oh, I think the most important thing that's happened out of it, I mean, I've written about death and dying mm-hmm. for decades. My mom was a hospice home care worker. Okay. So the issue has always mattered to me. Mm-hmm. We are having to contemplate our deaths in numbers that we just never had to do before. Right. Um, certainly over a certain, like, I'm more than a decade older than you, I'm 63. Okay. And I certainly didn't plan to be thinking about it at this time at all. But sure. there are people who with pre-existing conditions in their 40s yeah. who are having to consider their possible death. While that part is really frightening, what comes out of that if we think about it in a different way, is that in contemplating our own deaths, we perhaps see our lives differently. And we find the joy in the life we have right now. Mm-hmm. And in the days we know, what we know right now, you and I, is we are alive today. right, And that is something to celebrate, right? And I don't mean that in a modeling way that it could end tomorrow. What I mean is we've had to think about sure. the possibility of that in a different way and there are those who have lost people quite suddenly, mm-hmm. not just the elderly in nursing homes. Uh, my somebody I graduated from high school with, he died right. of the virus. Um, Annie Glenn, one of you know, one of our oldest friends, um, end up dying alone because right. of the coronavirus. It just broke my heart. So these losses, we must acknowledge. One of the things I do every day, or try to remember every day, I have a three-wick candle. I've been going through a lot of three-wick candles. Okay, I light one candle for those who are struggling and suffering. I light one for the people who are caring for them right now, Uh and then I light one for the people who are grieving. And the only reason I do that is it makes me mindful of what what is going on, and it makes me feel, if nothing else, in that moment, I had, for me, I had a prayerful moment, Mm -hmm. remembering that there's a lot going on out there that I can't control right now, but I can still acknowledge that it's happening, and it helps me stay centered. How do you know to do that? Is that,
0: <laughs> did you, did someone bestow that? I But that sounds like the most meditative and.
3: Oh, I don't, I just, I think I was desperate. Okay. I feel I, my, oh, my voice getting emotional. I was desperate. Uh-huh. To feel some center in this, right? Because everything was feeling out of control. And I've got a husband who's got to keep driving back and forth to Washington. Sure. Right. So I worry about him all the time right now. And I thought, I can't live in this state of worry. Right. I I have to do something differently because it's not my nature. And fortunately, I'm married to a guy who's hardwired to joy. Yeah. Although I definitely see the toll this has taken on him lately because there's so much to worry about all the time. Yeah. I just had to do something that felt. Well, I guess that's it. I had to feel like I was doing something Right. that's not meaningful to anyone but me right now. Right. But I do believe in that, right? That for me, that was how I centered. Right. And I could start my day because I'm not forgetting that others are going through these things, but I'm alive. And so what shall I do right. with the life I have today?
0: I love it. Okay. Well, let's talk about your book a little bit, because I read it, The Daughters of Erie Town. I loved it. You
3: I am so touched. Well, you know, there's a Sam, as you know, mm-hmm. in there, Samantha. Yes, w- were you right. always called Sam when you were growing up when you I, called Sam? What, you know what is, I actually have no preference between
0: Sam and Samantha. So I let people find their own name for me. I go by Sam. But now with my family, I have three kids if anyone calls me by my name in my family, it's so shocking to me. Like when my husband calls me Sam, I'm like, well, right. who's asking me what's happening? So I actually rarely go by that uh. in my life. And now that we're all together all the time, when I hear my own name, it's <laughs> jarring, no matter which version I pops out. <laughs> but I like, Sa- I like Sam. I love it's great. Name. I used to call myself Mantha. I called myself Mantha when I was a little girl. I, love I couldn't that. say my name. It's a great name. And my parents, my parents chose it because they, we, I, we has, we have a one syllable last name. And they were like, we should balance it out with more syllables on the front end. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so much thought. I that know. Went into very technical.
0: Cool. So okay, this is your first book of fiction. Yes. Is it because the world of nonfiction is just too depressing <laughs> or what made you <laughs> no, not dive at all. into this world?
3: I had written two nonfiction books and my editor at Random House, Kate Medina, and the publisher took me to lunch right before my second book came out way back in 2007. Okay. And they said that um, the working class is really underrepresented in modern literature.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: we think you can do something about that. Well, I agreed with them that the working class, I come from the working class, as you know, I was the first right. in my family to go to college. It was hard to find, and I love fiction, mm-hmm. but I wasn't finding many people that I come from who, are, who were not either dolts or props or, you know, they, they sure. do stupid things. And, but I wasn't sure that I was the one who could do that. And obviously, it took me a great deal of time to decide I could. I mean, it wasn't like I was doing nothing in the meantime, but I had to really think it through. And what finally got me to write this book is I, I became more concerned about what was preventing me from doing it, and it was fear. I was afraid of, I could fail as a novelist. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, as I always tell my students, I'm a professional in residence, been for the last few years in my alma mater at the journalism school there at Kent State. Mm-hmm. I tell them all the time, look, if you're not getting scared, you've stopped growing. Oh. And so I guess I decided I was going to get terrified. It's true. must be a heck of a growth spurt I'm having here. And that's how I finished the novel. <laughs> really,
0: it's so upsetting that growth is so much a part of you have to being scared is very,
3: yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's laughs> very important. You know a lot about that. I mean, look at the trajectory do. of your career. You had to have many, I can't speak for you, but I'm just wondering, weren't there times where you thought, wow, okay, here we go. I mean, it's yeah. just, you, you, t- you take leaps.
0: Well, you know, if you're not having a gut check about the work that you're doing every once in a while, then I think you slip into that. I think you can really easily slip into that place where you're not really Telling interesting stories anymore.
3: Oh, I would agree with that.
0: Like you find in Hollywood, especially, like there's a certain genre of movie that it's all just kind of like people in their late 40s who are just sort of rich and don't have any purpose in their life. And it seems to me like once people get to some kind of a level like that, they all sort of... To start creating the same material, <laughs> which is like the ennui of an upper-middle-class white family. <laughs> I'm very bored by it.
3: <laughs> There's a, a line. Gail Godwin wrote a novel called Finishing School, and I read it in my early 30s. Mm-hmm. And there was a passage that affected me so deeply that I actually wrote it down and carried it in my wallet for years. Mm-hmm. And it's an older character telling a young girl. I think she's like 12. And she, said, she just talks about people who reach a certain age and they just congeal. Right. Which is that they're not, they're not, not, they're nice people. They're nice enough, but they just, they've stopped becoming interesting. They've stopped growing. I was so afraid of congealing, yes. even in my early thirties. And that really stayed with me as a concept. I th- i think about that
0: a lot too. I feel like we have a lot in common here. You know, sometimes even just as you get older, you meet even older people who can't bend their mind around modern concepts. Yes. And that really ages you, you have to bend your mind around new things. You have to embrace things that are frightening, like TikTok. <laughs> you have to know what these things are. You have to know what these things are. And you have to just kind of get into the energy of it. And maybe it's not something that you're going to participate in. But to not know about it and to Agreed. push these things out. Yes. Just push new ideas out of your mind really makes you a dinosaur overnight. Well, it's such a bad you, die idea. Be-
3: you die before you die. Yes. Right. Because you just stop growing and everything starts to shrivel up and you end up with a face that looks like what would belong to somebody who has stopped growing. Right. And I just don't want that to happen.
0: No, God, you have to constantly be challenging yourself or it all goes to pot and then you're just doing the crossword puzzle (laughs) and doing the same. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Oh, crossword puzzles are great. No offense to crossword puzzles. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot of people who love their crosswords. There's a lot of passion (laughs) in the world about crosswords. Um, I'm the first person in my family to go to college also. So that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's great.
3: So what do you think? I mean, what I certainly tried to show in the novel Mm -hmm. and what I have felt all of my life is when you are the first to go, you straddle two worlds for the rest of your life. Because you, at least for me, I want you know our roots are our beginnings; mm-hmm. they're not our excuses. Right. right? That's one of the themes of my book. I hope, but it was certainly true of me too. My father and I we tangled about race all of his life. Uh-huh. But you, you feel like you owe so much. At least I did, mm-hmm. and yet we were being taught to take those leaps, right? right? Which will take us farther and farther away from the people who brought us into the world. And I'm wondering, did you or have you struggled at all with that tension?
0: Well, I'm an only child, so I don't, you know, it was, I haven't, I can't say that I've struggled with that. Although I have, you know, it wasn't, my grandmother wanted me to go to college. It wasn't, I wouldn't say that it was a huge priority in much of my family. It wasn't as, I guess I started college in 1987, something like that. 86, 87. And there was only really one person in my life who was pushing me to go to college and that was my grandmother. Because and she raised she, you,
3: right? She was the one who raised. She did.
0: You. I mean, I'm I'm close to my father, I'm close to my mother, I'm close to my stepmother, but she did that kind of fundamental work. She was the only person yeah. who for whom it was just not a question that I was going to college. Like she just made it. She made it materialize. It was never a possibility to not go. And I don't think I appreciated the amount of work that she did to make that possible until later in life. Well, you were young. Yeah, I was young. I was young. But now I'm so grateful. There's a world in which I wouldn't have gone if it wasn't for her. There's a world in which I wouldn't have.
3: Right. You know. Boy, it's pretty easy to imagine your life very different. Very, very different. If you hadn't done that. And look at, I mean, it's not just, a, you're an extraordinary example of what can happen when you think big. Um, but I also just think of how many you've influenced that you wouldn't have influenced if you hadn't had that launch. Well, so,
0: I say the same thing right back to you. Oh, thanks. So you talked about your dad's racism. Do you, do you have advice for y- the younger generation who might just for the first time be dipping their toes into social movements and realizing that they are on different
3: side than their parents yeah you know it's it is hard and i've often said this and i believe i wrote a piece for the atlantic a few years ago and it mostly because i was getting frustrated with this the punditry um that kept declaring that if you grow up white working class that's how you become a racist and i'm certainly not unique among white working class kids who could see a different world from how their parents were seeing it it's it's easy to hate the racist you don't know Mm. It's so much harder when the racist is a person who loves you, and in my case, made sure I went to college, Mm -hmm. right? My dad, he came from a very small town in Ohio, a rural area. He never knew any Black people. Mm -hmm. But we lived in the city of Ashtabula, and half my classmates, all through elementary school, and certainly then beyond, were Black. Mm -hmm. And when you learn at a very young age that you don't have to look like your friends to see yourself in your friends, Mm -hmm. right? It's it changes the trajectory of your life right. at a very young age, and you and it's it's a hard thing to be young and suddenly understand that your father doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. So I do understand that tension, and there were big gaps in my relationship with my dad where we wouldn't talk, and it would be yet another eruption right. over race. But he found his way; he was finding his way. He died at sixty-nine. My mom died at sixty-two. I've just exceeded her okay. in the number of years of life. So they both died. But my mom was a nurse's aide, and she worked with a lot of people who didn't look like her, and she cared for people. She didn't struggle with it in the same way. What I would say to young people now is your outrage is so understandable. Mm -hmm. But if there's anyone who can reach these people, it is going to be you. You will reach your loved ones. And as I said, if my father had been alive when Barack Obama ran for president, I know this. He loved, all three of us girls, we're were very big on supporting Barack Obama Mm -hmm. after the primary was over. And my father loved his daughters more than he loved his racism. And I think we really would have had, we would have turned a corner with him on that one. I do believe that. But it's because we would not give up on him. You know, but I also had some rules. You can't talk this way around my kids or I'm not going to bring them to visit. I mean, I was very, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I didn't. I didn't want to have to explain to my kids, who loved him in, in their own ways, right. particularly my daughter, because she, um, he was so easy with her. It was just such a different relationship, right. and I wanted her to be protected from that. I didn't feel like I needed to pull her aside and say, yeah, but let me tell you what else about grandpa. Right, um, he was different with her. I wanted to allow the difference in him to grow. And how does she reflect on that now?
0: Now that she knows, now that she knows all of that, how does she frame that relationship?
3: Kate is the. You know, yet my son Andy was grown by the time I divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate, I think, will always in part see herself as the daughter of a single mother. Okay. And so I think most of the framing for her comes from that. I mean, in very good ways often. It's been, um, I can't tell you what it feels like. She's 33 mm-hmm. now when she will occasionally say something to me, letting me know she understands what it, what I, it's kind of like how you felt about your right. grandma. You, you step back and you, you understand the investment, not just financially. Right. You understand the emotional investment as well. But my daughter's married to um, a Latino. Mm -hmm. And my son is married to a Latino. I often joke because, of course, they grew up in the Heights, Cleveland Heights, Shaker Heights. You grew up there, you're going to marry somebody who doesn't look like you. I'm very proud of them. And so I have mixed-race grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And so so it's a different conversation. We have speculated what would her grandfather have made of that. But he adored my daughter. Again, I think that might have been an avenue. I understand, though, I don't want to diminish... How angry younger people can feel when they realize their parents or their grandparents right. have these attitudes. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is something we must honor in young people. I just hope that they can get to a point, many of them, where they can try to reach. Should we have to do this? You could always argue it's not my job.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But if you're really trying to change the world, it often begins quite literally at home.
0: One person at a time. It's <laughs> a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Yeah. You you teach journalism at Kent State. How are you teaching a new generation of journalists? How are you teaching young journalists to speak truth to power in a way that is effective?
3: Well, I started there in January of 2016. Mm -hmm. And pretty quickly, I'm having to talk to my students. I'd have show of hands because as soon as we knew a Trump rally was coming, coming either in Ohio, anywhere in the tri-state, show of hands, who's covering it? And we'd have to start, stop, and start talking about how do you protect yourself and stay right. safe at rallies. Right. right. So early in that conversation, nobody, of course, thought he was going to win. Where we yeah. were, um, although we had Trump, I had Trump signs in the rural part. Driving, it's a forty-five minute drive for me from the city of Cleveland. Okay. And we certainly were aware of the Trump supporters. The day after Trump was elected, that morning, some of my colleagues. Just canceled classes and stayed home. I felt like I had to show up because yeah. I've always told my students that's what you do when it's tough. You got to show up. So I got to live this one. And I had a line outside my office down the hall, and many of them were not even my students. It was triage. Right. What I'm proud of, though, is how quickly they pivoted. And it. I got into journalism because of Woodward and Bernstein, mm-hmm. right? I, they they got a president, a corrupt president, to resign, right? And that inspired me. These students, I tell them, this is your Watergate, except it's so much worse <laughs> and it's so much bigger. <laughs> and this president, <sighs> the more he hates you, the more important it is you understand why you must do what you do. And it has actually—I mean, the, they rallied pretty quickly, right. and I've been really impressed with them. So, and I teach opinion writing; it's one of the courses I mm-hmm. teach. Um, I teach two courses a semester, and there are two days a week, and. I, I really want to teach opinion writing in part because young reporters are so often asked to do two things now. Cover stories, straight stories, but also can you blog please with attitude. Right. Can <laughs> right. you get on Twitter with attitude? Can you get some collects? Right. And it puts and it gets it puts them in an impossible situation yeah. often. So I want them to understand that the best opinion writing is heavily reported. And and we we experiment a lot with how do you have that attitude that you can bring to it without compromising your ethics mm-hmm. as a reporter. I mean Objectivity is a myth. It has never existed. Right. The goal is to be fair. And you, I remember so well thinking I was wrong. When John Kerry ran and um, the swift boating happened and the the too much of the coverage was giving full weight to these false allegations about his time in Vietnam, right. and in theory, afterwards we were supposed to have learned something as a profession. You can't just do he said, she said stuff. You got to say what's not true and what. It's right. taken us much longer than I thought it would. I remember the debate early. Can we call Trump a liar? I was saying lying very early. Sure. He was clearly lying. Yes. But I'm a columnist. I have more flexibility. I'm
0: glad that we're it's all taking people a long time to say the word racist. It took people a uh, long time again.
3: Yes. Yes, I mean, when he went out and announced and he was talking about yes. how, the Mexicans. I mean, I mean, we really knew who he was, right? He was, was a right? but, oh, oh my God. I mean, he was right. a racist exactly. birther and so is his
0: wife. And I'm always right. appreciative when I'm reminded of that fact.
3: Have you read Mary Jordan's book on uh, Melania No, Trump? I have
0: not. No, I have not.
3: It's, uh, I, I've read, I, well, she's from Cleveland originally. So okay. you know, loyalty sure. always. And she's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Mm-hmm. But the thing that has been so instructive in reading her book is that Melania Trump, she is very much like her husband in so many ways. Right. This was always the show. Mm-hmm. This was always the plan. And um, I read it in also in part because I think she's such a contrast to Jill Biden. Mm-hmm. And this may be the first presidential election where we're actually going to care who's going to be first lady.
0: Right. Well, how seriously do you think we should take the fact that he's already hinting Huh, that he may not accept the results of this November's election.
3: I think we. Sh- I think I think we should take it seriously. Yeah. Here is who I am hoping taking it seriously: all the Republicans right. who have been enabling him, who have been you know fortifying him and his sycophants. There, I mean, this is a very serious threat he's making, yeah. and the Republicans are going to have to decide. I mean, they're always the finger in the wind, mm-hmm. right? Well, when I said earlier, you can't undie the people, right? who've died from this virus, you can't undo so much of the damage. More people die because of president Trump's period. Mm -hmm. You can't change that now. And you can't, and everybody knows somebody who's had it. If if they haven't had it themselves or they don't know somebody immediately who's died, they know somebody who does. That's how wide it's getting at this Mm -hmm. point. And so Republicans, um, Sarah talks all the time to me privately about how they mumble and grumble, many of them behind the scenes, but then they, they have no courage no. when they get on the floor. No. no courage at the microphone. This is what's going to have to change. And I said, you know, listen, that's why we have to beat Donald Trump in a landslide. Yes. That's why he must be defeated in a landslide. Yes. 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 Um, Kent State
0: was of course, one of the worst moments of political violence in recent American history. Are you worried about potential violence happening around the election? And I'm sorry, my questions are very doomsday, but I'm
3: very worried. I'm very worried. Well, you're asking, I'm, I'm worried and you're asking the questions that I think about all the time that we discuss here at home all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, my faith in most people remains strong. Yeah. I think if we have a landslide election, Mm -hmm. I don't mean to be, there's a reason I keep going back to this. A landslide is definitive. Yes. A landslide lets even the Republicans know that they're in trouble. I I think at this point it looks like, and the predictions seem to be going this way, but we're very careful about predicting things right Mm now. The Senate is absolutely in play. Right. And if we defeat Donald Trump and the House remains with the Democrats and the Senate, flips to the Democrats, the Republicans have some decisions to make pretty quickly. right? And that can determine what will happen in the streets. Will we have violent Trump supporters? Is that your main concern? The Trump supporters, if he loses? I
0: just, I think I'm worried about the chaos. Yes, I'm worried about, I'm worried if he doesn't lose by a landslide. I'm worried about what happens on those sliver margins, if it's actually closer than we all want it to be.
3: So I guess what I would say at that point, at this point, I, because I'm answering this question every day from people. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do with this fear we have right now? Right. What, how are we going to turn this into energy that moves us forward mm-hmm. in some positive way? Um, one of the things we can do is make sure that everyone we know. I know you're a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you ever, do you ever question that? I'm curious. Question my citizenship. Uh, no, that you became a citizen, Actually, okay. never, never question
0: it. I'm very, I'm so glad. You yeah, that. I, I, it was, honestly, the day that I got my citizenship, and I passed the test, and I did the swearing in ceremony was a really proud and wonderful day for me. I love this country. You know, I've spent the majority of my adult life here. I'm very invested in it and I'm fully, fully invested in trying to make it a better place somehow. Even just scratching out tiny bits of incremental progress is very important to me. So
3: you know. Well, and that's on point. That's on point right now. That what what I I think what we need to be thinking about is find five people who you're not sure are gonna vote, for example, or make sure they're not remind people constantly to check their registrations to join these efforts if they can if, and show their support for organizations that are trying to make sure that everyone who is eligible to vote gets the right to vote. Yeah. Also, I mean, I, I'm i that three in the morning kind of person, yeah. right? That's when I wake up and start thinking, oh, my God, what happened? Me too. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, I, and I remind myself immediately, all right, this is your worst time of the day to be <laughs> thinking about anything serious. Uh-huh. And I go do, sometimes I'll just go downstairs and watch sitcoms for an oh. hour, Sherrod's in Washington. Okay. I'll just, I because I, I don't have a TV in our room because I'm really trying. I used to be an insomnia for years. I read that you can't have a Got TV it. in your room. So I, I sleep better, but I go downstairs and I watch something funny. Mm-hmm. If I know that Sherrod's up, if I text him to say, are you awake? He's so often yes, yeah, because yeah. he also woke uh-huh. up. We talk and we have a rule that we'll talk about some fun things too, like the latest funny thing that one of our grandchildren said or the goofy thing we saw uh-huh. or read. In other words, divert your mind sure. pretty quickly. Do something different. Because you are worrying in the moment about what's going to happen in December and January. We can't know what that looks like right. yet. And we, and we do have people who are thinking about it all the time, who are qualified to do something about right. it, who are empowered to do something about it. And the healthier we can be by Election Day, just taking care of ourselves in the ways that we need to, the stronger we will be if indeed we end up in yet another crisis. We don't want to be all worn out and exhausted already.
0: I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go watch a sitcom. Okay. Well, what are you watching at three o'clock in the morning? What do you turn on? What brings you out of your of that place? What show? You know,
3: I was watching a, a bunch of old Frasier oh, okay. for a while mm-hmm. there, but I also um, no, don't make fun. No, the, no. Well, no, Mary Tyler Moore <gasps> show. Believe it or not, I, I went Tyler back because I grew up on yeah, that. Right. Me too. Uh, I love it too. And I was called Connie Tyler Moore in the newsroom for years because I was cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> but as you know, you can be cheerful, and, and that does not mean at all that you don't have yes. the withering gaze when you need to have one. But I would, But I also just, you know, I watch, um, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to say this, I just went through all of The Crown the first two seasons, oh, because I loved, especially how John Lithgow plays Winston Churchill, yeah. because I had just read Eric Larson's book, um, The Splendid and the Vile, and it's about the blitz, mm-hmm. which I think is so relevant to read right now because of what they went through, right? right? And how they, and they... And they rallied together, which made me think, I just need to see a little more of Winston. So now I'm watching John Lithgow as Winston Churchill. I know none of this makes sense, but it calms me down. It gets my mind off of what's going to happen in in December with Donald Trump. And just for a little while, that's helpful. Okay, that's great. And then you go back to bed? Do you successfully go back to bed? And then I go back to bed. Yeah, usually, maybe for an hour or so. Yeah, I mean, I don't, or I'll read another. I'm always reading fiction. Okay, You know, but... I just, my point here is, whatever, I mean, maybe it's a bath or something, sure. a bubble bath. Sometimes I'll just sit out and look at the moon because right. it's nice weather and I'll take the dogs out and we'll sit on the back deck and I'll just look up at the moon and talk maybe to it. Maybe it's punching I mean, dough. I'm going to do what I need to Making do. Making pie
0: crusts, hitting stuff with a mallet. Exactly.
3: Mm-hmm. I can, because I can dwell. I don't know about you, but I can definitely get in that place where I start dwelling. Oh, sure. I could. And um, it, it, it's like it picks me up and drops me off in a different place and I, it's not a good place. Right. And so I fight the liftoff. I decide I'm going to go somewhere else. You, okay. you're
0: Obviously, you're from Ohio. How do we get you to speak at the DNC instead of anti-choice Republican John Kasich? Like, how do you go from John Kasich <laughs> well, I'm, writing in a candidate in the 2016 election to speaking at the DNC? What are we doing? I know.
3: I think, I mean, I don't know the thinking on this. I have not talked to Perez about this or to the, or, or to... Uh, our friend Saul, but I'm wondering if they're thinking, well, Ohio appears to be in play now, which it is. I I find it a little curious that they think the way to get Ohio Democrats to vote is to have Kasich, but Kasich left very popular as governor Mm -hmm. here. And I will say this, we did during Sherrod's 2018 race, Mm -hmm. we held focus groups with Trump voters for the entire year. And we always split men versus women. Mm -hmm. And Sam, it was instructive because the men were pretty much lost to us. Nobody was going to vote for a Democrat who had voted for Trump, right? right? But the women started to peel off towards it. And they peeled off over two issues, health care yeah. and the family separations. Mm. I imagine talking to those women now in the heat of the coronavirus. Right. Right. I And, Sherrod, you know, it, I mean, part of it is we just look at it realistically. Trump won by around eight points. Sherrod won a little over seven. Mm-hmm. Um, t- two years later, yeah. that gave us reason for optimism aside from the fact that it's, sure, it's he's a liberal senator who just won statewide. Right. We think that means Ohio definitely is still a swing state. And now the polling is finally convincing people who don't live here and look at it a lot that why look? Right. So maybe that's why they're thinking about Kasich. Mm. I, I was pretty surprised to hear that, quite frankly. i was
0: surprised. People had to tell me three times. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, do you mean his son? Is something else happening? <laughs> what, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, I don't think people are going to like that. <laughs> yeah, apparently a lot I of them lot don't. Of
3: We've been hearing a lot. People don't
0: like that. Um, okay, so let me ask you about uh, Representative Yoho from Florida. Calling Representative AOC a fucking bitch, and then trying to apologize, saying that he's like a he's a father of daughters and a husband to wives. It's so when are are men going to realize that knowing women does not (laughs) give you a pass, does not excuse your behavior? That's right. Uh, You know, it's really not. We're not impressed that you have a daughter or a wife. Women are full
3: people. Full stop when she went on the house floor yeah. and quoted him his words his exact words mm-hmm. and then she talked about she did the major pivot she did what yes. i i constantly try to do myself i hope and what i encourage other women to do she decided she was going to carry as she climbs right and so she made it about all women and she made it about what all of us go through what what Every generation has gone through. I really had hoped to see a different, such a different time for women of her age, Ocasio-Cortez's mm-hmm. age, and yours, and our daughters coming up. And look where we are. And so there's no point fussing over that. I I, I feel like I was pretty naive mm-hmm. when I thought the stuff that I put up with in newsrooms, for example, um, it was going to get better because we were going to eventually find our nerve, find our courage to fight back, and look at her taking center stage that way, it is now in the congressional record. And the Republican response to it before she spoke, it it seemed to me almost as if Yoho and all his, you know, comrades there just thought, it'll blow over, Mm -hmm. we're going to get away with this, we did this, and then we're going to move on. And it's so very clear to me that her message was permission denied right you do not get to say this about me and to me and then pretend that nothing happened right only can we do that with my permission and it my and and permission is denied right and this is such an important message for women of any age frankly i've been hearing from my i was on MSNBC last night about this and so I've been hearing from a lot of women my age are saying well I don't know that I would ever have the courage to do what she did this time and I and I, I keep thinking yeah actually I think you do right you were willing to write to me you don't right. know me and I sometimes will say but and yet here you are you just wrote to me about this I think you have more courage than perhaps you're Acknowledging in this moment, right. right? It is a hard thing to do.
0: Does it excite you to see this new generation of young female politicians standing up in this? It way? excites
3: me to see. It excites me to see this young generation right. of women. Period. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I love about teaching is I'm surrounded by them, and, and the young men who so many of them. <laughs> I sometimes will just say to them, "One of the first questions I was ever asked when I went back to my alma mater to give a speech." Um, was from a male student who said, How did you balance family with your career? And I looked right. at him and said, I never dated a guy like you in the entire <laughs> time I was dating. <laughs> Whoever even worried about that. So, yes, and to see these young women in politics, and the thing is to watch them grow. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has really grown into this mm-hmm. job. And that's a wonderful you know, that's a hard thing to do publicly. Right. You make missteps, yeah. You she's young and she was just getting, but she's so skilled. Mm-hmm. She is clearly so bright. Her speech, I I watched it three times because I was so struck by how eloquent she was. And her voice broke only when she talked about her parents. And that was when she talked about how her father, she's a daughter too. Mm -hmm. And and I think the word she was, luckily he wasn't here. He's no longer here to see what you said about me. But her voice started to break a bit. Oh my gosh. And I thought, you know, that's the thing that we have to remember too. There is her humanity. Right. And her own losses that she brings to this, her own life experience. So I'm I'm all I'm all I'm definitely team Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And I love saying her name. I really just like saying her full name.
0: I love that we are raising generations of people who actually literally won't eat as much shit as we did. Just so excited (laughs) to see. Like,
3: they do brainstorm it sometimes. I mean, I've had young women come into my office, want to talk and tell me about something that has happened. And, you know, one of the most meaningful moments right after the election was a young woman came in to talk with me because the language that Trump had used on that TV um, audio, remember that got released?
0: Oh, yes. um, Grab it by the
3: pussy. And uh, and she said, that was exactly the language that my rapist used. Oh. And I said to her, Have you ever talked about this? Even her parents didn't know. Wow. And she ended up writing an opinion piece on it. Wow. And took this horrible thing that had happened, Mm -hmm. this horrible election that brought it all back to her and found her voice. And to me, that is an indication of how much change can happen because my generation of women, even a woman who's only 10 years younger than I am, perhaps. Mm -hmm. It would have been a much harder thing to consider doing, right. and she did it, and I was so proud of her. Wow! And she wasn't one of my students, but she was a student at the university, and she wanted to talk to me about it because she knew I was a columnist. Oh my god! So yes, everywhere, everywhere, they are inspiring me, yeah. and um, you see why it's easy for me to be hopeful. Right. I surround myself with people you do who aren't, aren't like me. They're younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not my skin color. Mm-hmm. Often, they're not my gender often so they're always making me think and grow. Right. So and that's where hope resides. Oh, this conversation has been incredible. You have helped me <laughs>
0: immeasurably. This podcast is really just all about having people come on and and help me. <laughs> I don't I don't mean that, but it's I'm oh, thank you for that. I'm going to I'm just going to ask you one more question and then we will conclude, but this I appreciate you talking to me. So deeply.
3: Okay, I appreciate it too. Right. It's been helpful to me as well. So see how that works.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Look at look at us giving back, and this is a back and forth happening here. Okay, you and Sherrod play a lot of Scrabble. Yes, yes. And he oh, who makes yes. up more words. Well, what? Which one of you? What
3: do you want to who know? Who makes up more what? words?
0: Who makes up more fake words? Who tries to get away who with do you more? Think? Well,
3: <laughs> who do you think? And we have. I think we should have this rule now that if you can't define it, right? I mean, really define it, not just make up some ridiculous thing. Then we look it mm-hmm. up. It has nothing to do with what you said. It had to do oh. with. He is the master at it. He is also. And I. What was I thinking? Years ago, I bought a leather bound notebook. Uh-huh. Oh, let's keep scores. Let's keep track of our scores. Right. I want to burn that book. <gasps> we are almost finally at the end of it, okay. and we used to, we write notes to each other. They're horrible notes. I mean, it brings up the worst notes. You would not think I was a hopeful <laughs> person if you saw what I said to my husband on some of this. Because he he just comes so close to cheating. Oh. But he's also, the thing about Sherrod, it's why he's a, he's good at what he does. He will not give wow. up. Wow. He will. You know, do you, you play Scrabble much? I don't
0: play it very often. I play poker. My family and I are discovering oh, poker together in quarantine. We're becoming wow. card sharks. <laughs>
3: my children sherry won't play poker with me because the one time they tried to teach me friends and Sherrod, he said i just refused to take it seriously he was dumb okay uh because he's very serious about his poker but the scrabble he will just never throw in i mean he just won't he'll he could be 172 points down and he is going to continue because and, and that's how he wins so i mean he's very talented and he loves to brag that he beat a Pulitzer winner, which I always have to remind him I didn't win it for spelling. He's just ridiculous. He, is, he wears this, you He's down. a show-off
0: with Scrabble. He's a show-off. Damn it. He's a show-off. All right. Connie Schultz, thank you so much. Everybody read the book, I have, I have The so Daughters good. of Erie Town. It's great. They, thank you for your columns. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for being a point of light and a, and a, a wonderful respite in this dark time for me.
3: Can I return, just to say this to you, I am so inspired by you. Oh, I wouldn't have agreed to this in this time if it hadn't been just, I mean, you are something else. Oh, gosh. And there are so many women. I have a, my pastor who's just turned 70 says, I love Samantha oh. I mean, you reach so many different oh groups. God, How about that's that? That's amazing. She and her wife, they both love, love you. It. So I just want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for reading my novel. I can't believe you have found time to do that. So thank wow, you. Well,
0: it brought me great comfort. Yeah. I love a good book of fiction yeah. in a thank dark you. time. That's what I do in the middle of the night. All right. Thank you again. We'll be back shortly. (gasps) Oh, that was great.
1: I know I say this every time, but I do think we could have her on every week and it would (laughs) it would work really well as a podcast, mostly so I could talk to her about Fraser, But I'm sure she would take more questions from you. (laughs) is great. I love her. I love getting the dirt on their Scrabble games. I know. That's <laughs> uh, really,
2: that's deep. That's Senate d- scandal. That's some deep,
1: deep yeah. gameplay. That's his biggest.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: a very, that's a very clean politician. I'd
2: love to see a press conference where he's tearfully resigning over his Scrabble <laughs> malfeasance.
0: I played dirty.
2: <laughs> but I played to win.
0: <laughs> okay, we're going to do real or fake. I read comments, and then I try to guess whether they are real comments or comments that were written by
2: Svea Adam. All right. It's 13 to 5. 13, <laughs> Sam, 5 us.
0: I've been very good at it so far. Okay. Can we get a vaccine for your humor? <laughs> uh, is that real? It's fake. Oh, we told you. I might these be, are good these ones. These are good, by good ones. Okay.
1: Yeah, medical humor. Okay.
0: Sam seems like what Tracy Flick from Election would do as an adult. Well, I think that's very apt. I think that's fake.
2: Mm. What? Yes. Yeah,
1: we're
0: destroying
1: you, you. guys.
2: Are <laughs> destroying, destroying me today? You. You've been owned.
0: <laughs> Joe Rogan gives you unfiltered truth, and he's way funnier too. Ugh, oh, unfiltered truth. Joe Rogan. Ooh, that seems fake. Okay. All right, okay. I don't know what the <laughs> giveaway was. It was mostly a guess. I just don't picture anyone who loves Joe Rogan saying... Joe Rogan, typing gently typing, Joe Rogan gives you unfiltered <laughs> truth. <laughs> yeah. But I could be wrong. Maybe he has they a lot I don't
2: think of... they know
0: how to type. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, they're going to come for us now. I don't know. They just. I feel like there would be more weird capitalizations of mm. letters. Okay. I didn't think this quarantine could get worse, but did you leave all your funny in the studio? I think that's fake. All right. Oh, you know what gave it away for me? Someone from the outside world wouldn't say the word studio.
1: Ugh, that's what you said last time about
0: real.
2: You're so showbiz, Fia. Yeah, showbiz. I've been biz. in the business for too long. Show <laughs> business.
0: Okay. That was cringe at its worst. Not the room type of so bad it's good, but just bad. Hmm. I think that's real.
2: <laughs>
0: it is. Yeah. Oh, Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's real, but that's creative because the room is bad. <laughs> but
1: I wouldn't And not a comparison, you would automatically n- Not really,
0: for. but okay. Okay. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> oh, that could be real. That was just last week. Oh, that was.
1: Yeah.
2: That was a, to our podcast.
1: That was our first podcast comment.
2: <laughs> the first, our first bad out. podcast comment. Really, Not the first yeah. one we received. To be clear, right. we
0: had lots of good
1: ones, really good before
2: ones, it. and then there was. a Are bad we one.
0: sure <laughs> that it's bad? Because if they're saying "see you next Tuesday," maybe they're going to listen. That's true. <laughs> they will. They will tune <laughs> like, in. I'm going to listen to this. See you next Tuesday. See you no. next Tuesday.
2: <laughs> That's true. This comes out on Tuesday. <laughs> it comes out on Tuesdays. Yeah. So yeah.
1: they just they just did our marketing campaign for us. <laughs> Thank they you.
2: Did.
0: Oh my We're going to have God. shirts.
2: Oh, boy. Oh, Our first merch.
0: This is great. <laughs> Actually, really, I really cherish that. That's maybe my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the most on point uh, yeah. comment that's ever been that made. I just
2: bought the podcast another decade, I'd say. <laughs> it really
0: did. <laughs> okay, merch time. I hope you liked my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and subscribe to Full Release and email us your feedback at fullrelease@zambi.com. Let me know who I should be talking to about this insane moment we're living in and what I should talk to them about. Or, you know, just let me know what an amazing job you think I'm doing. An amazing job we're doing. But seriously, if you don't email us, it's just going to be letters from my dad asking for the Netflix password. And tune in next week for another Full Release. This podcast was produced by Adam Howard and Zvia Baron Reinstein. It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by Samantha B. That's me. Stay safe out there. Is it Pulitzer or
2: Pulitzer? That's a good question. I never get it right. I
0: think
1: you say it both ways. I would say Pulitzer. Pulitzer. (laughs)
2: Well, that's wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I get so many.
0: I feel so dumb. Pulitzer. I'm gonna do it like Ethel Merman.